This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. How's everybody doing out there? Chris Brown, along with Matty Glab here on a Thursday. One Bills Live is the show. Steve, a little under the weather. Some of you might have been able to pick it up on yesterday's show. He was fighting something, and apparently he's losing that battle, uh, <laughs> at least today, as uh, he is fighting a bad head cold, post-nasal drip and the like. Not not all too different from what you were dealing with, Matty, yeah, recently. Yeah, So, But you're on the, you're pretty much good to go now. I'm on the right? up and ups. We're <clears throat> good, good to go. Steve is not, so Maddie is stepping in for him, and we thank her for doing that. As uh, we inch closer, we are now two weeks away from the NFL draft. And I was what? telling Steve yesterday, Maddie, I was just like, all right, let's just get there already. Like, I'm done. Yeah, with we've talked the about it for a while. The, oh, my gosh. Like, pouring over players and prospects and, and possibilities traps. and all this stuff. Just, let's just get to the show already. Um, but we got two weeks to wait, so we're gonna, we'll be sitting here talking about it even more oh, yeah. uh, with you. And, you know, it's fun to talk about. It Although, is. I will say, Maddie, some of these mock drafts have gone off the deep end. They're and they're crazy. They're kind of ticking me off a little bit. I'm just, just going to be honest. Um, and our good friend of the show, Charles Davis, uh, recently did his mock. And... I don't know if any Bills fan would be happy with his choice for Buffalo at 27. He goes with Alabama DB Brian Branch for the Bills, which, you know, based on the times you've come in to tell us about the mock draft watches, he was very popular in the early going. And now here comes Charles Davis in the 11th hour, two weeks before the draft, and he's like, I'm back on the branch train. Before Jordan Poyer, before Taylor Rapp was signed to the Bills, Brian Branch was a popular name with Antonio Johnson as safeties that could come on and fill that role if Jordan Poyer was not going to be on the team or if they didn't replace Jordan Poyer with presumably another starting safety, which remember, back to free agency, the safety class was incredibly deep. Uh, Your top guys got good money, but then it kind of fell off after that. But there were a lot of great safeties that were available in free agency. A lot of teams filled those needs with those Safeties that were on the market. Jordan Poyer comes back to Buffalo. The Bills signed Taylor Rapp. Do you still need depth there at that position? Charles Davis has Brian Branch heading to the Bills at number 27, which I have spoken to draft analysts, and I'm working on a feature story about the top three positions that the Bills should go after at the end of round one at number 27. And I've been hearing corner defensive back come up in that conversation just because of the injuries that this team had last season, knowing what they went through and knowing the type of defense that this team likes to play in a nickel defense where you have five DBs on the field, where maybe you just need more depth there. All right, I'm going to crawl into the head of a draft analyst now, like the ones that you've been talking to. They look at the Bills. They see all those injuries from last year. They see Poyer and Hyde as a combination maybe a lot closer to the end than the beginning as a tandem together. Um, And I think they also look at the safety class, which as a whole has been deemed to be thin and weak this year. And they say, well, if I'm going to give the Bills a safety, I've got to do it early. And I don't think that's the case. Do the Bills need a little bit more depth at the safety position? I would say unequivocally yes, because – DeMar Hamlin's still a question mark. Mm -hmm. 
you don't quite know yet what you're doing with Christian Benford, and you may not until you come out of this draft and see what you have in terms of additional defensive backs. So, yes, adding a safety would make complete sense, but I don't think it's at the top of the priority list where you would use a first-round draft choice. I, I, I guess the only way that, for me, the only way that becomes reality is if the board is completely barren and the only thing there with a first-round grade is a safety, then I could see it happening. Beyond that, I would be borderline shocked if they went safety at 27. I do like the depth that Brian Branch gives you um, as a safety, as a defensive back, as somebody who could move around if you needed him to. Yeah, position versatility. Yes, but do you want to use depth with your first-round pick in the NFL draft? Probably not. 27 is a tough place to be at because you're starting to hear draft analysts chat and and, and talk about these position groups could be off the board by this time or this team is now inching closer to this. And you're you're hearing the wide receiver class as as one that isn't as highly touted as the wide receiver classes of the last few years in the draft. But yet you look at all these mock drafts and you see these wide receivers coming off in the teens and wide receiver could be a good position for the bills to go after. If that's what Brandon Bean is thinking, we've seen a lot of wide receivers mock to the bills. It's a position that draft analysts have said, this would make sense for the bills at 27, but in some of these mock drafts, there's nobody available at 27. They're all off the yeah. board. I will say in Charles Davis's mock, which you can find on NFL.com, when he took Branch, I said, okay, that's his pick. What was still on the board when he said Branch for the Bills at 27? I'm going to give you a few names, okay? <laughs> these prospects were still on the board when he chose Branch for the Bills. Darnell Washington, the tight end from Georgia. Brian Brzee, the defensive tackle from Clemson, and Drew Sanders, the linebacker from Arkansas. They're all still on the board, and I got to believe the Bills would take any one of those three mm-hmm. over Brian Branch. No offense to Brian Branch. Or, so, you know, I just I look at it, and I'm like, eh, I can't get to safety. I just couldn't do it. Um, and that's not to knock Charles Davis. I mean, look, doing those mock drafts is not easy. You know, it's like trying to – you know, pin the tail on the donkey with three blindfolds on. So, you know, everybody's opinions kind of factor in when they're doing their mocks and what they think fits best. I just, I don't see it. I don't see safety. Yeah, I I would be surprised, too, if they decided to go safety in the first round just because the value you get with that pick and the needs on this roster or the luxury items that might be available still it depends, you know, who who's on the board at that point. And it's it's a good position to be in because you know you have a good team when you're at that place in the NFL draft. But, man, oh, man, that position is hard to be in for a GM and for a scouting department trying to do their own mock drafts and trying to predict everything that's going to happen on that draft night. Who knows if trades are going to be a thing again this year. Last year, there were so many trades mm-hmm. in that first round that can really throw things off. Six right at the end of the round. Like in the last ten picks, there Mm -hmm. were like six trades. It was crazy. Teams trying to get up into the bottom of the round. Um, I don't know if you saw this, Maddie. ESPN.com decided they were going to do a write-up on the quarterbacks, stack them in a number of areas, talk to a number of league executives, 
And so the league executives and scouts that they spoke to gave a slight edge to Bryce Young to be the number one pick. But it was far from unanimous. They call Bryce Young a mental savant since high school. They say Stroud might be the cleanest prospect in the class. And they say Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, makes really hard expletive look easy. <laughs> um, but he, the thing I wanted to run past you are the comps. So in addition to, like, stacking all these guys, they also asked NFL executives and scouts to give them player comps. So you tell me what you think of these. They had Bryce Young comped to Drew Brees, which size-wise makes total sense, maybe in terms of mental processing of the game, probably falls in line too. What do you, what do you think of that? I've heard that before, and I would say, yeah, that, he seems, prob- he, that, that seems right yeah. to comp him to that. This one was more interesting. They comped C.J. Stroud to Dak Prescott. Hmm. I think Stroud is a better athlete than Prescott. I think he's a faster runner, more elusive. Dak is kind of stiff below the waist. His legs don't bend. like He's not a loose athlete. So I think Stroud gives you more than Prescott. Yeah, I would have to agree with that one. I don't know if Dak Prescott <laughs> I can understand it in some areas, but in in the athleticism area that that Stroud is pretty much off the charts with. Yeah. I mean, Stroud didn't show it a lot, and I think it's because his receivers that he had to throw to were usually open, so he didn't have to extend plays much or scramble and stuff, but when they played the Georgia defense, in the Peach Bowl in the national semifinal, he did because the defense there is so good. And all of a sudden it's like, holy cow, like Stroud can go, you know, getting big 20-yard chunks on runs and stuff. And I think he really opened a lot of people's eyes that he's a much better athlete than given credit for. He's not the same athlete, however, as Anthony Richardson, who they comped, Maddie, to Cam Newton and Josh, Josh Allen. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Duh. Um yeah, and look, there's a lot of ugly passing tape out there on Anthony Richardson, but those scouts are right. He makes impossible stuff look easy. He's like doing what Josh does. He's running out to the sideline, extending a play. He's throwing back across his body to like the uprights, and he's nailing somebody in the back of the end zone in a tight window, and you're like, well, how the heck can he do that? But the 10-yard out is a problem. So – he, I think the general consensus with Richardson is the best place for him to land is a place where he can sit and watch for a year and kind of get better at his craft. Yeah, and with him, it's it's the upside. It was the upside with Josh Allen, too, was he does all these freakish athletic things, but the completion percentage isn't there. Do we believe that we can get it to a place yeah. where it needs to be once you become an NFL quarterback? Are you going to be able to learn behind somebody that is going to make you better, that is going to help you with, with things that should be easy in the NFL but are hard for you at a college football level. So I, I can understand those comps, too, just because of the way Josh came into the league and the way that he's grown. Um, can Anthony Richardson do that as well? To be determined. Yeah, they said – I saw some of the execs commenting on him, and they said the most encouraging thing with Richardson is he hasn't, he hasn't developed the – film study skills that would make him better, but he wants to learn. 
And so I think a lot of teams are going to see that as a major positive and believe he will make himself better as a result because he wa- they based their impression of him is he wants it. Like he wants to be a better passer. You know, he doesn't just want to run around all day and say the heck with the passing game. And when this guy goes, whoo, he can scoot, man. And with someone what, did he like, run a four four three or something? It yeah, was something stupid. I think so. With somebody like him, he's he's got the the size, he's got mm-hmm. the body makeup that you you can't create in some of these other quarterbacks. You you can't get Bryce Young to grow an inch or two. You can't get C.J. Stroud to to grow as much as as Anthony Richardson is. His stature in the pocket, he is just a big dude, and. He, I'm sure it's dependent on who the scout is, but do you prefer a little bit of size over the tape? Like when it comes down to it and you, you have decent tape, would you rather have somebody who has a little bit more edge in the size category over the tape? Because you can't, you can't create size. You can look at yeah. tape and you can always say, we can make you better, but you can't make somebody taller. Right, and that's the rub with Bryce Young because he's tiny. I mean, I know he ballooned up to close to 200 there for the combine, but what's his real playing weight? It's probably like 180, Mm -hmm. maybe like 185 if he really hits the weights. I mean, once he gets through training camp, all that weight he ballooned up in the combine, that's going to be gone. He's going to just burn that off. And so you see what happened to Tua, who was a 200-pound quarterback, uh, and what he dealt with. I'm not saying Bryce Young is Tua, but stature-wise, he's even smaller than Tua. And so it is a concern. I mean, even with all the protections they have on you can't hit the quarterback low, you can't hit him in the head, there are fewer injuries at the quarterback position, but guys that are small, it's an added risk. Um, so that's that's going to be the big debate on Young. His mental capacity is so through the roof, though, that – He's going to go high. He's going to be one of the first two picks. The question is, does he go number one? Will Levis comp to Ryan Tannehill and Matthew Stafford? (laughs) I don't know that that's a ringing endorsement on the Tannehill comp, but it speaks to the athleticism that they both had coming out. I I think Stafford's a comp you would want if you're Will Levis. Oh, yeah. He's got, Um, you know, he's got an arm like Stafford. I chuckled because those are the comps that I I would give him, too. Yeah. It makes sense. Hendon Hooker was comped as a faster Jacoby Brissett. I don't know if I'd like that if I'm Hendon Hooker. Yeah. No offense to Jacoby Brissett. He was also comped to Geno Smith, who had a very good year this Mm -hmm. year, although it took him 10 years in his career to get a starting job for full time. And then some of the later round quarterbacks that you probably haven't heard of yet, Jaron Hall, who the quarterback at BYU, he was comped to Russell Wilson. Interesting. Undersized guy with a high angle arm release. Mm -hmm. So, those are the com- those that's why the comp came up because Russell Wilson isn't even six feet tall but has had a very successful career and then Jake Hayner from Fresno State who was the hero at the Senior Bowl was comped to Brock Purdy whoa which last year at this time you'd be like woof but now it's like whoa maybe that's a guy we look maybe at late in the draft um, and the reason I mention this is because. Second hour of the show today, Maddie and I uh, are going to talk to Brandon Alley about the uh, cognition test. He's a, he's a neurophysicist. So he and one of his partners from Vanderbilt University came up with the cognition test that the league is now using to determine 
basically the mental processing of NFL prospects. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it, but Brock Purdy was one of those guys that tested off the charts on the cognition test, and it's a big reason why a lot of people feel he had early success when he had to come in for an injured Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers last year. So Really interesting that people are not necessarily doing away with, but are, are choosing to also add another test in the S2 cognition test um, in addition to the Wonderlic test, which you really don't hear much of anymore when you're talking yeah, about you're right. quarterbacks. You don't, I feel like that used to be, a, and it really did used to be a thing where what was his Wonderlic score? How did he do on the Wonderlic? And that's not brought up too much. But it's interesting to see that there's something oh, yeah. new that tests in a different type of way. Yeah. And then we also had a couple of Bill's news and notes. Um, one, which we had kind of, it came out yesterday, uh, and it dealt with Latavius Murray visiting with the Bills, veteran running back, 33 years old. I would kind of view him as a short yardage, push the pile kind of option at this state in, state in his career. Bigger back, um, he goes like 230, and he's 6'3", like big guy. And played for Denver and New Orleans last year and, you know, didn't get a lot of run. He was largely a backup, and I would anticipate if the Bills mm-hmm. were that interested, he would be a backup here as well. This is one of those situations, Maddie, where you see a guy visit late in the free agent process, and I think this is one of those situations where the Bills say, let's get this guy in, see if we deem him to be a fit, and then let's wait. Let's see what we get in the draft. Because maybe they draft a running back, you know, middle, late areas of the draft, and they're happy with that. And now suddenly you don't need Latavius Murray. So, but maybe you come out of the draft and you didn't draft a running back at all. And you're like, well, we'd really like to have a third guy there. Maybe we want Naheem to play more special teams only. Be nice to have a third guy in the mix. And Murray fits what we're looking for, you know, pull the trigger after the draft. That's kind of how I see that interest you know what I mean he did have 700 rushing yards for the Broncos last year started in seven games played in 12 so um, he's had some productive seasons I I would agree with how they would probably use him Um, somebody that came into the NFL in 2014 he's got a lot of wear on his tires um, but definitely more of a short yardage type guy who who could could help you out in certain situations yeah We do have breaking NFL news, this concerning the sale of the Washington Commanders. Sportico is reporting that Dan Snyder has reached an agreement in principle to sell the Commanders for $6 billion to a group led by Philadelphia 76ers co-owner Josh Harris. He was one of the finalists in the bidding, according to multiple reports. It's a group that also includes billionaire Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson. So, Nice when you got a billionaire as a buddy, you know what I mean, to kind of help f- front the liquidity of the sale. <clears throat> now, Ian Rappaport quote tweeted that report, and he said they are Josh Harris's group is in fact nearing a deal to buy the Commanders for just under six billion, according to his sources. Nothing is final. Nothing's been sent to the league. The bid still must be submitted and approved, but it is getting very close. And I know there was talk, Maddie, about this being up for approval by the time the owners meet again in May. 
So this would fit the timeline of what they're trying to hit to kind of have all the ducks in a row so when the owners meet again, the Josh Harris, if it is their group, the Josh Harris group walks in, stamp of approval, mm-hmm. congratulations, you're the new owners. Mm-hmm. That's the point they want to get you know, when they reconvene in May for another set of owners meetings. So we'll see if this goes through. Um, I don't think it's shocking. The, the only news that had come out in the last couple of days was that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos yeah, was, was not, not going in. to bid. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of thought that he might swoop in in the 11th hour and mm-hmm. outbid everybody, which I think we all know he's got the financial wherewithal to do. Um, but he chose not to do so. And that probably got the wheels turning even more on the last two bidders that were really kind of coming after the franchise and trying to land it. Uh, One final note that we should pass along concerning the Bills is today is the reported pre-draft visit for one Zay Flowers. It was reported earlier in the week that Thursday would be his pre-draft visit day with Buffalo. So just wanted to remind everybody of that uh, as the Bills made their way through a bunch of receivers that were reported to be visiting in the last couple of weeks and that deadline is coming up. I want to say it's next week sometime where the pre-draft visit period ends. Like, nobody can visit anymore. And I know since COVID, Maddie, a lot of teams are doing virtual um, pre-draft meetings with a lot of prospects as well, um, especially some of the smaller school kids that are in, like, the middle-of-nowhere school, you know, like the southwest, <laughs> north-south Missouri State, you know, if there's a prospect there, they'll be like, well, you're three hours from the nearest airport. Why don't we just do it on Zoom? Mm -hmm. Save you the trouble. Uh, And that's happened a little bit more. Not not just with the bills. I'm saying several teams have done that uh, in the pre-draft process the last couple of years after having to do it exclusively during COVID. That's how they did the pre-draft visits back then. And I know the the scouting department, you know, said during COVID and even after COVID that it's so nice having guys in person versus virtually understand that sometimes you have to do it virtually, but it's nice having guys in where you can see them face to face. You can talk to them face to face. You can see the the characteristics of them. You can see the mannerisms. It helps when determining, is this the type of guy that's going to fit in our locker room? Does he fit our, our culture? Does he fit what we want? Because, you know, that, that, visit begins as soon as you get picked up from the airport and Mm -hmm. and people can you can have whoever in the car driving this prospect to whatever team they're going to go visit and every single person along the way of if they're in meetings of if they're touring the the facility everybody can report on this is what I saw from this kid and I will tell you just from scouts that I've talked to over the years they evaluate literally everything you do. I remember talking to a scout, and it's a while ago now, probably eight, ten years ago, at the Senior Bowl, and I said, you know, I was trying to confirm, like, hey, you watch more than just what they're doing in practice, and, you know, you watch what they do on the sidelines and all that stuff. He goes, let me give you an idea on how fine we cut this. He said, I'm watching a player that I've had my eye on the last two days come off the practice field. He goes to the bench. He gets a glass of water, like a paper cup glass of water, finishes, throws it to the garbage pail, and misses. He got up, got the cup, 
and put it in the garbage pail. Now, if he if he misses, leaves the cup and walks away, so that's an the, X. does how much does the evaluation? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that. Those are the little mannerisms. Like what kind and of person you are you? Get that over Zoom. Yeah. What kind of person are you? You know, and it, they cut it that fine. Mm-hmm. It's crazy, um, what they do to just try to cross every T and dot every I on these guys because they know it is an inexact science. So any any information they can gather that they believe paints the picture as accurately as possible about what the player is going to be, what the person is, and how that's going to translate into them as a professional athlete, they're going to mark it down, write it down, document it, et cetera. And it never stops until they get to draft night. And even on draft night or draft day, it happens. Remember all that? Terrible stuff that came out on Twitter about Josh the day of the draft. Mm-hmm. And Brandon had to call. He had to call Josh and say, hey, what, what's going on with this? Well, you know, vet it out again. And that's it's like five hours before they're picking. You know, it's just it's crazy. It never, ever, ever stops. Uh, we've got an interesting question for you today as our Twitter topic. Uh, Maddie and I are asking you. When it comes to the draft, what is your most important trait or characteristic that you think the Bills should look for in drafting players? Now, we know this sometimes may vary by position, but on the whole, what's your most important trait or characteristic that you think the Bills should look for in drafting players? 803-0550, the numbers to get on board. Open line for you there on the phone lines, or you can hit us up on the tweet sheet at one bills live. Do you, I mean, do you have something that sticks out to you? You know, like, Hey, they gotta be this. Um, I mean, I think we're already assuming out of the gate, Maddie, that they have the requisite skill set athletically mm-hmm. to be drafted and be a professional athlete. So putting that stuff, you know, aside, where do we go from there, I guess, is kind of how I'm looking at this. So I was listening to um, a podcast on the way to work today, and it was Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, and they were breaking this exact thing down. Mm. They were going through the characteristics, and they were breaking it down by position and the, and the character traits that you want out of a guy at each, posi- at each position group that would make him more desirable to draft at whatever position a team was drafting at. And um, one thing that... Josh has is is the heart is the I care about this mm-hmm. more than anybody else and I think that's something that sticks out to me um, from a quarterback perspective from any other position group too because you get guys who walk in here you get prospects who who teams talk to and you come across guys sometimes who have just been handed everything on a silver platter because they were the best in high school. And then they got the red carpet rolled out for them during the recruiting process, which I have seen Mm. firsthand and have been a part of firsthand when I worked at Tennessee, was watching these guys come in for their recruiting visits, and it was like, the the president of, of the United States is walking in here with the way that some of these guys are treated. And the egos get so big sometimes, and you continue to be really good in college because you were amazing in high school football, but then you get into the NFL and maybe the effort hasn't been there your entire career because you've just been good. You've been gifted with these athletic traits that have gotten you this far, but when it comes time 
to watch film when you get home from from the workday, to stay on the field 20 minutes longer after practice has ended, to get into the training room an hour before to to get the rehab done, to put the right stuff in your body. Not everybody can do that. And I think that's the most important thing to me that a prospect can give to their future NFL team is, is yeah. the heart, is the care, is the give-a-crap factor. Yes, and I would say, yeah. And, I mean, when you're talking about the makeup of an individual, I think it's very important that they are self-motivated. Now, a lot in a lot of cases, it's hard to even get to this level unless you're self-motivated. But there are some athletes, as you said, that are so gifted they're going to get here anyway whether they're self-motivated or not, because they're so athletically gifted that everything has come easy to them. And then they get to the NFL and it's like, whoa, I got to work now. What do you mean? I got to work hard at this. Well, because everybody else on the field with you is just as good an athlete as you are. And if you want to hit your ceiling, you got to put the time in and that doesn't always happen. I mean, you think about a player like Jadavian Clowney, for example, guy was ridiculously gifted, ridiculous, like stupid gifts. And it had always come easy for him. He's the first pick in the draft. He gets to the NFL, and he's a good player. He's productive. But I don't think he ever came close to reaching his full potential because he had gifts that could have made him one of the best pass rushers in the history of football. And I don't think anybody would tell you he even is in the top 20 at that position in the history of the game. He could have been. But he's not. And now, where, where is he? He's still playing, but he's signing one-year contracts. He's played for four teams. Why? Because that dedication to improvement just is not there. He would just re- rather rest on the athletic gifts he was born with, and it's good enough to stay in the league. It's good enough to get paid. That's good enough for me. That's not the kind of players that people are looking for. But they'll still draft players like that because mm-hmm. the gifts are so good. You and I think the Bills, I'm not going to say they would completely ignore players like that, but I think if you ask them, they would prefer to have the guy who's internally motivated, willing to become great, and is willing to work at it every single day to incrementally improve himself day after day after day. We'll get to the phone calls. We are up against the clock. We have to take a break here. But Cal and Grand Island, Kevin and Hamburg, you guys are going to be leading us off when we come back. Your phone calls next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back. One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie Glad with you here on this Thursday. And we're going to go right to the phones as we are asking you today. What is your most important trait or characteristic the Bills should look for in drafting players? And leading us off today, Cal in Grand Island. What do you got for us, Cal? You're on One Bills Live. Oh, hey. How you doing today, guys? Love the show as always. Thanks. Um, What I got is, like, most important, like you said before, about all the God-given ability athletically. But for me, it's the constant Uh, drive just to never stop learning, never wanting to ever stop improving, never being content and, you know, being being satisfied with where you're at. It's been my opinion over the years, I've been a sports fan for 30, 40 years, that the best guys in the world, man, they're never happy with where they're at. They're always constantly improving, always trying to get better. And that's just what I think. And that's my opinion. Yeah, and I, I think your opinion is very much in line 
with what we hear from Coach McDermott, who is always preaching about self-improvement, getting even the slightest bit better the next day and the next day and the next day. And, I mean, knowing Coach McDermott like we do, we know he's a grinder. He loves the grind. He embraces the grind, and I think he wants players that reflect that image as well. He doesn't want guys that think they have it all figured out or think they're good enough or better than anybody already and can't get any better. He wants guys that are always striving, striving. And I think that's the vast majority of the roster right now. I think it's about being humble, too. Humble enough to know that that you need to improve. Humble enough to know that you're not the best out there. That there's always a way to get 1% better that day, which we hear Sean McDermott say. and Do your 111th. Do your job. Um it's not about me. It's about the entire team, and I think a lot of a lot of the guys on the roster fit that build right now. And that's why self being you know self motivated is important too, because it that that impetus to get better is coming from within. It's not any coach screaming at you on the practice field, because <laughs> coaches are with players the least amount of time than maybe they ever were in NFL history. With all you know, the new CBA rules, and this is when you can practice, this is for how long, you can't do anything at this time of the year. Coaches are around players less than ever. So the importance of getting self-motivated players that want to be great and have a burning desire to be great might be more important now than it ever has. Let's go back to the phones and to Kevin in Hamburg next. What do you got for us, Kevin? Hey, guys. How you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I want to carry on with the last guy, Cal, said. I agree with that totally, but I want to go a step further and say about homework, how well he does his football homework. Like that Anthony Richardson, what you told me he said about wanting to learn on game film, that would impress me that this guy wants to learn, even though he's struggling. Unlike Hale Murray, the guy that burned the bills on the Hale Murray, he's like a football or a homework Grinch, if you want to use a – that's why he's been criticized by his teammates. He's like a – he don't want to. He wants to learn so much, but he don't want to. Like that. That impresses me because if you get burned on a big play, like as a safety, and then two weeks later you get a pick six, it's like, well, I learned on game film. That's why I got a pick six and didn't get smoked like I did the last time. How well? So it's sort of like to carry on what Cal said, but especially in the homework field. Yeah, I get what you're saying, Kevin. And I mean, Maddie, I don't know about you, but like, I think. Some people have portrayed Kyler Murray as a little bit of a me guy. Um, even some of his teammates have hinted at that. And that's not what you want either. Because <laughs> I don't know that there is another sport where you're relying on 10 other teammates as much as you are in football. Um, so you have, you have a guy that is very individualistic and all about himself while I think there's varying degrees of it, you don't want a lot of that in your locker room on a football team. I think it's tough, too, if you're a teammate of Kyler Murray or of somebody who you don't think is putting in the effort that they need to be putting in and do yourself are doing everything you can to go above and beyond and, and put the work in and put the extra hours in. It's it's tough to watch somebody sitting next to you who may be getting paid a lot more and is not doing that. And that could be a reason why you're lacking, why you're coming up short in games, why, why something you should have seen on film 
if you were paying attention or doing the extra work and you would have known how to react in a certain situation, but you didn't react the right way because you didn't watch the film. You didn't put that time on task in. So I, I think it's in a team sport like football, it's tough if everybody is not rowing in the same direction yeah. with the same amount of strength every single day. And and there's there's up days for guys and there's down days for guys and that's when, you know, your your teammate next to you picks you up a little bit more because life is tough for everybody, but generally speaking, you want that guy putting in the same amount of work if not yep. more than you are. And that's where having a majority of players in your locker room who are team guys helps because they recognize when a guy's having a rough day and he's kind of moping around a little bit, and they take it upon themselves to jack the guy up so he comes out and has a good practice. Maybe when he's not feeling it on a Monday or when his body feels like garbage in week 17. Um, that makes a difference. But I think, Kevin, what he was getting at is important too because it can be great to have all of that motivation and willingness to get better, but you also have to have a certain amount of mental processing skills to – recognize what you're watching on film in terms of study. Like, are you looking for the right things? And then once you find those things, do you know how to like take notes on those things and then retain it? So you know how to execute it in the snap of a finger when you see it on the field. Um, we hear all the time how some prospects are physical learners. They can't learn it unless they physically rep it on the field. And then there are other players who are visual learners. You put it on the board for them, got it, coach. And now you put them on the field and they do it without a second thought. So there are very, you know, there's different things that are baked into wanting to learn. It's how good's your mental processing? How much can you retain it? How do you how do you take it in? You know, do you take it in by executing it physically or do you, can you just stick it in your brain after you see it and you're good to go? And everybody's different. And not one's not any better than another. But they're different, and you have to teach those guys differently as coaches. Yeah, I was going to say, and also being in an environment where they can foster that, depending on the type of player that you're dealing with, whether it's somebody who learns by actually doing it or somebody who learns by having it taught to you, being in an environment, having the coaches that are going to go out of the way to figure what type of learning style each player has and make sure that they are learning to the best of their ability because there's – there's drafting and then there's developing a guy. Are you going to a team that can tr truly develop you? And I've, I've seen it in college football where sometimes that just is not there with the staff. Mm -hmm. You can bring guys on, but can they, can they take it to the next level under your guidance? Right. Player development comes in big. And I would say that if you ask me what is the, one of the two greatest strengths that the Bills coaching staff has had under Coach McDermott. It is player development. Players get here and they get better. Now, part of that is because of that self-motivation that we were just talking about. But the other part is coaches recognizing, well, maybe i got to coach this guy a little bit differently than this guy if I'm going to get the most out of him and help him be the best player he can be, where I might take a different approach with this dude over here because he doesn't like some of the things I do when I'm coaching that guy. And that's something that falls on the coaching staff to adapt to, to remain effective in making everybody better, not just maybe the top two players on your depth chart at your position. So it's all baked in together. That's why these NFL teams, they're just such gigantic operations. Roster size, coaching staff size, 
all the little intricacies of the game, the scripted nature of the game, it's crazy. I just, I don't know how you put it all together sometimes. <laughs> Let's go to the tweet sheet, though. What is your most important trait or characteristic the Bills should look for in drafting players? Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. And Jack leads us off and says, first speed, second speed, third speed, then instincts, and finally more speed. I think I can figure out what Jack likes in players. <laughs> we need guys who can leave defenders in their dust and seedy defenders that can destroy quarterbacks or ball carriers and run with Hill and Chase, etc. Finally, if it is defense, I want a linebacker who can run and has better instincts than Edmonds has. Okay, a lot there. Um, speed is important. I mean, I think we all know that this is a sport that's bigger, faster, stronger, usually is better. I just remember talking to Lee Evans right after he got drafted and as a first-round pick here in 2004. And I was talking to him about how he recaptured his speed after a major knee injury from junior year to senior year. And he ran like a 4-4-1 at the combine. And he said, well, I was glad I could get back to that. He goes, but that's not the key to being a good receiver. He said, the key to being a good receiver is running routes. He goes, it's great if you're fast, but it's better if you can route, run routes effectively every single time. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, that's a pretty wise statement from a 22-year-old. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I was very taken by that. So, Jack, I respect speed as much as the next guy. And after watching Tyree kill the last five years, I think we all understand that speed can truly kill. Um, I don't know if it's the only thing, though, that I would chalk it up to. We have heard our coaching staff say quite a bit in the last couple years um, in regards to the type of player that they would want to draft speed comes up a lot from Brandon Bean of, of a characteristic or, or a trait that they're looking at that they want that they admire based on what's already in the NFL what's already on this Bills team is speed can separate you from other people yeah. and how do we stop our opponents on mm -hmm. top of that and I will say this Kair Elam I I'm watching the game last year against the Dolphins in the playoffs and Tyreek Hill runs an 18-yard dig route, and Elam was step-for-step step with him on every single step of that route, and my mouth fell open mm -hmm. because that's the first time I've seen a Bills defender do that against him in a man-to-man -man cover situation ever. And I was like, okay, we might have something here. <laughs> and that's where elite physical traits come into play like speed. We have to take a break here. Tom on the west side will lead us off with the phone calls next when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. What is your most important trait or characteristic the Bills should look for in drafting players? Right back to the phones we go and to Tom on the west side. What do you got, Tom? Hey, Brownie and Maddie. Hey, Maddie, can I call you Mad Bear? Go I know for you're it. From Chicago. Go for it. I Mad like Bear. it. Okay. <laughs> Mad Bear, because the Bears aren't very good. <laughs> I don't have a lot of faith in them. Yeah. <laughs> Things might be changing there with Ryan Poles, the new GM. We'll see. 
Well, anyway, I, I would say it's the IQ test because it's my understanding now that it's not just the quarterbacks that take it. It's all of them. And, and, and could you expand on what the IQ test involves? Because it, it, to me, it's the understanding of the game and how they comprehend things and the way they see things on the field. They're not looking for Einstein. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get what you're saying, Tom, and thanks for the call. It's actually a good setup for what we'll be talking about in the second hour of the show. I think Tom's referring to the old Wonderlick test, which they do still use, Mm -hmm. along with a bunch of personality test evaluations that different teams use while they have players at the Combine. And it does measure, you know, general intelligence. It also measures processing skills and things like that. Um, being able to come up with solutions in a short amount of time, all of that stuff. But now what we're going to be talking about in the second hour of the show with Brandon Ally is the test that he and one of his fellow neurophysicists designed that the NFL uses now, and it's a cognition test. And we'll get into the nuts and bolts of it in the second hour, but it goes far in far greater depth in terms of the specific things that players need to be successful on the field. And we'll get into it in the next hour, but it's, it's pretty involved and pretty accurate in lining up with the skills that players need to have. Yeah. You test a bunch of different things and it spits out your S2 total score. So it'll be fun to talk to um, Brandon about how they came up with that. And, and just, I think it's fascinating seeing a need like that and being able to create something and the creating success. is the impressive thing. Yeah. Like it's one thing to be like, you know what? NFL teams could use that. I got no clue on and how to do that. What exactly? Yeah. But it's what? two guys from Vanderbilt University. So go figure, you know, a big time engineering and science school. Mm-hmm. And you got two neuroscience majors putting it together and good for them because those guys are rolling in the dough now. Because uh, they don't just do it for NFL teams. They do it for baseball teams and other stuff, too. So they're doing pretty good right now. Let's go to Mike in Buffalo here before we go to break. What do you got for us, Mike? Hey, happy birthday to Steve, related. Uh, yes. I think in the first round we should take the first linebacker we can, whether it's uh, Campbell, Sanders, or Simpson. Sanders seems to be the best athletic. Second round, I think we should take a Washington, the tight end, if he's available. He seems to be the most aggressive and physically good blocker. Third round, I think we should take the best offensive lineman or best defensive lineman. And fourthly, I think that we should have a recount on the survey done by the Bills and that ranch dressing should replace blue cheese dressing for chicken wings in the stadium next year. All right. Mike, you do know that was an April Fool's Day joke, right? It was. (laughs) It was. They got you. They got me. They got (laughs) you. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for the call, though. Appreciate Don't it. Don't worry. We would never do that to you. Yeah, they Don't got worry. you on the April Fool's joke. Oh, that's good. Where are we? We're April 13th. Holy cow, Mike. Mike held on to that for two weeks almost. Oh, boy. I feel sorry they got you. Um, well, hopefully we just made his day. Yeah. Linebacker in the first round. I'm with you, man. Drew Sanders is my guy. Mm-hmm. I hope he's there for Buffalo. I think he will be. Uh, Darnell Washington in the second round. I don't think he got a snowball's chance in H-E double hockey sticks because um, he's going to go a lot earlier than that. That guy is a freakazoid of an athlete. I've seen him going as early as the teens. Yeah. So he might not even be there for the Bills in the first round. Yeah. So that might be a bit of a challenge. And I think, Mike, you know this, but the draft doesn't really 
work that way where you can say, well, I think in the first round we're going to take this position, and in the second round we'll take this position, and the third round we'll take – it doesn't nice. work like that because it's based largely on draft value for each and every of each and every one of the 350-some-odd players they have grades on. And if the value doesn't meet the position at the time they're drafting, they're not taking a guy at that position. They're going to take a player that matches the value of where they're picking. Um and, and that's one thing people have debated with the linebackers. Like, is right. the value there with an inside linebacker anymore in today's NFL? And some people say yes, and some people say no. It, the value is not there. You should not be doing that. Yeah. So it, could they trade out? Could they trade out of the first round and get a linebacker at the top of the second round and, and have it make a little bit more sense? Or do does Brandon Bean or, or, or does the scouting department think if he's there, we're going to go after him? Yeah, it's all based on where they came down on the final grade. And the final grade for them is going to be different from the 31 other teams because when they grade these players, they do it based on how does this player fit our team? How does this player fit our scheme? How does this player's personality blend with the rest of the locker room? And that's going to be a different answer for every one of the 32 teams. You bake all that together and you're going to come out inevitably with a different grade than all those other teams because your answers aren't going to be the same as theirs. And that's why people get all caught up, Maddie, when you hear people say, well, this team said they only had 25 players with first-round grades. And then people are like, well, you're going to run out of players if you're picking anywhere after 25. That's not the case because the 25 players that Team A may have with first-round grades are going to be different from maybe the 20 players that this team has first-round grades on. And so when you add their 20 players and those 25 players and maybe half of them are the same, but maybe seven or eight of them aren't, you can get to the bottom of the round with players that have first-round grades as it pertains to that particular team. We have to take a break here, but when we come back, Brandon Ally is going to join us. He is the co-creator of the S2 Cognition Test, which is now used in a widespread way by NFL teams to determine the success rate of prospects as professional athletes. We'll get into the nuts and bolts of it next with him here on One Bills Live. Stay tuned. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, welcome to hour number two. Chris Brown, Maddie Glab with you here on a Thursday, One Bills Live. And pleased to be joined now by co-founder, chief marketing officer of the S2 Cognition program. It's Brandon Alley joining us here on the line. And um, Brandon, first, thanks for giving us some time. Second, I, I've got to kind of wrap my head around the genesis of all this. What sparked the idea in the first place? Because clearly, you know, they always say, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. What what came to light for you? 
Right. We would love to say that this this uh, was was spawned because there was a problem to be solved. But um, uh, my my co-founder Scott Wiley and I were actually uh, on faculty at Vanderbilt University in the departments of neurosurgery and neurology, uh, and we operated labs that evaluated the way people made it made speeded decisions. I primarily was working in the Alzheimer's uh, Alzheimer's disease world. Um, and really was trying to pick up on very early visual dysfunction, driving problems, those kind of things that lead to, to significant issues. And Scott uh, worked in Parkinson's disease. And so he was very concerned at the earliest signs of when people could start, stop, switch, redirect uh, your motor system. Uh, Scott and I are both college athletes. Um, and so we have always sort of dorked out on, on sports, if you will. And so we would spend, uh, you know, after work hours, uh, grabbing a drink, just, just whiteboarding, uh, what it takes for the brain to engage in these processes that are involved in hitting 95 mile an hour baseball or what a quarterback or a safety has to do. Um, and you know, it was kind of funny because we were constantly hearing terms like, oh, he plays faster than his foot speed or, or, uh, you know, he's got a nose for the ball and their anticipation. And so we were like, you know what, we measure these things in the lab all the time. Um, so the battery of tests that we use to evaluate these football players are literally straight from the cognitive science literature. We didn't invent these tasks. They've been in labs around the world for decades. They're well characterized and, and they, they, they target very specific cognitive systems at a high level. So things like your ability to inhibit in, in, uh, responding too quickly. Um, your ability to focus on a motor performance task while being distracted. Um, all of those things are tapped into what the brain has to do in sports. And we just kind of help front offices and coaches and scouts sort of overlay what that system does into the sports arena. So again, I think there's a lot of misconception out there that, that we're purporting to be able to uh, predict how someone's going to behave on the field. That's, that's not really what we do. We, we characterize how these folks' brains are wired, how it typically manifests their strengths and weaknesses, how it typically manifests on the field of play. And then we let your front office guys uh, have that discussion about, well, does this fit the profile of what we're looking for at this position? You know, there's uh, linebacker position, you can have six or seven different styles of play at linebacker. And so does this cognitive profile kind of fit what we're thinking? Um, so that was that's sort of the thrust behind what we do. And then what has been the success story of your company? How long did it take to catch on? Was this something that you got in front of NFL teams right away and, and they had buy-in and they thought this is this is something that we need or something we would like to have? Or or did it start a little smaller and slower or, or maybe with different sports first before football really started to take it on? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we intentionally started very small because, again, I think um, when there's anything new, uh, sort of a disruption, um, you're going to have skeptics. You're going to have a period of figuring it out. And, and do the data tell us what, what we think it tells us? Are you measuring what you say you're measuring? Does it match up with our scouts? Does it match up with what they're doing on the field? Baseball took off much quicker than 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 football, but I, I think baseball was there, right? They're a numbers game. They're analytics driven. Um, they're very good at predicting performance on field now. Um, and so we we've, we actually started as a company in 2014. Um, we did a lot of college work in college football, um, but essentially the NFL, we started with a small group and the Bills were one of those teams back in uh, 2016 and, and kind of have grown since then. Why this is taking off in this particular year, I, I have no idea. 
Um, this is also the first year where we've where we've had to deal with um, with with folks leaking scores in the in the media. Um, I would say half of which are accurate, half of which are way off base. So I'm not really sure what what made it sort of explode this year. Right. And so what positions have you or your clients found in football? I'm talking now uh, to the test to be most helpful in predicting player processing skills. Like, is there a position that really seems to get nailed by your test? I'm not saying, you know, it's useless for other positions. I'm just wondering if there are a couple of specific positions where it really helps the talent evaluators most. I think those positions in the middle of the field. So the quarterback, middle linebackers, safeties, corners, um, those guys that really have to rely on being able to see the whole field and process visual information very quickly and make very uh, rapid decisions. You know, the offensive line, the defensive line, those guys, um, you know, physical skills trump the day, right? And yeah. and if you can if you can run over somebody or by somebody, uh, it really doesn't matter how many objects you can track, right? And so, again, we also don't want to sort of purport that hey, we found something that we think is the holy grail. This is one small piece of the puzzle that goes into the factors of you know how big they are, how fast they are, how strong they are. What is their mechanics and footwork like? Uh, what's their game experience? What's their game knowledge? And, and oftentimes you're also uh, conflated a little bit with everything above the, the neck. So their psychological makeup, do they respond well to failure? Do they like who they're playing for? Do they like who they're playing with? Uh, do they respond well to failure? Do, do, you know, do they have a lot of pregame anxiety? Um, to be an elite athlete, to be at the NFL level, you've got to have all of them. So we're just one small piece that kind of fits into the bigger picture of athlete evaluation. So can you take us through what a test looks like, how long it is, and, and how how the tests are given um, and how they're evaluated? Yeah, sure. So for the football battery, uh, we measured nine different cognitive uh, processes. And so to evaluate that, it takes about 40 to 45 minutes um, we have partnered with a gaming uh, company to have gaming uh, uh, style laptops that are capable. Mainly, we're interested in the in the display because you have to be able to draw things on the screen within one or two one thousandth of a second, and they can only be on the screen for about fifteen one thousandth of a second. Uh, and then we also have a proprietary response pad that's built built out of Europe that can capture reaction time within one to two one thousandth of a second. And so we, we take our precision very, uh, uh, it's a very important thing for us. And so they sit in front of that station and they're engaging in tasks that are requiring responses in less than half of a second. So you're move, things are moving quick. You're really engaged. And what we find is most, most uh, elite players, like most things in their life, are super competitive with it. You know, they want to try to get it. They, they want to try to get them all right, even though there's no way to get them all right on our test. Our test is like as if you were to go into the weight room and, and try to find a, a one rep max, right? You're going to fail at some point. So that's what we try to do is just try to find the point of failure in those nine cognitive processes. And I know a couple of them are, these are interesting to me. So that's why I wanted to ask you about them. So, and, this, and the only reason I'm asking this one, Brandon, is because traditionally, Scouts would talk about the kind of learners that players are. Like some guys are visual learners. You put it on the board, bang, they got it. Other guys are physical learners. They have to physically rep it on the field to get it. You've got in your in your list of 
characteristics, visual learning and instinctive learning. Can you give us the differentiation between the two? Yeah, sure. So um, just as a preface of this, we measure things on the execution side, right? And so when you talk about playbook learning and co- complex scheme learning and things like that, that's not something we measure. We we pretty okay. we feel like uh, the scouts do a great job of talking to the colleges and understanding how that athlete is going to learn, if he's capable of learning complex things, how long that's going to take him. Our visual learning task is more concerned with can they take what they learn in 2D space, so film room, installs, how you do your installs, and then translate it into 3D space on the field. So be able to know with alignment where they're got where they're supposed to be proximal to other players. When the ball is snapped, where am I supposed to go to find space? Um, it, but th- that is something you can study for. Um, we call that explicit memory. Okay. The implicit, the uh, instinctive learning is more implicit. This is not something you're studying for. This is something you're just picking up subtle tendencies and cues over time and adjusting your play. So in the NFL, it's so sophisticated these days. If you're on offense and you line up across the defense, they're not going to give you the same look from week to week out of that formation. So you've got to kind of pick up what they're doing on the fly. And so this is an athlete's ability to pick up the, how quickly can they pick up on those subtle tendencies and cues? Even dating back to your time at Vanderbilt and the tests that you were doing on people then and, and now the tests here with athletes, is there anything that you've learned about the human brain and mind that you just think is fascinating that, that you get to see through tests like this? Yeah, I think one of the most fascinating things is that people d- don't know um, how – Uh, extraordinary elite athletes' brains are wired. Um, One of the things, because I studied a visual process in which we've tried to find the limits of where, how quickly you could present something to someone and they could actually process it visually. So we can all see something, but how quickly we process it. And historically, the scientific literature has suggested that 16 one thousandth of a second, that people couldn't process that. And that's what they used as subliminal messaging. So if you remember the old, you know, 1950s commercials, they might flash up a a picture of a Coke bottle for 16 one thousandths of a second. You didn't really see it. And you're like, oh, man, I wish I had a Coke. It kind of was this subliminal messaging. Um, And that was sort of in the literature. What we've found in in particularly baseball, these guys that can hit 100 miles an hour, that is not even remotely close to, to true. Um, and it's just something that's never been reported is that we see guys who can actually process 13, 14, one thousandth of a second uh, and, 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 ra- and do it well, do it routinely. So seeing how uh, phenomenal athletes' brains are wired, um, we also got into this discussion about five years ago about elite gamers. And, you know, and in and, and, and some of these teams like, hey, I've got such and such a player. He's a gamer. Is he going to score well on here? So it led us, we actually tested the top 10 Halo players in the world. Mm. Um, they all re- reside in Seattle and, and build these teams to, to destroy these tournaments for millions of dollars. And we put them in front of the football battery uh, to see how they would, how they would uh, um, compete against football players. And it turns out uh, they are in the high average range for football, for elite football players, but they are not the, the top of the, they, 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 they cannot process as fast wow. as the elite athletes, which is just really interesting to me. Two other parts of the test that I wanted to have you differentiate for us. The distraction control, how well a player can stay kind of locked in on what the task is, I'm guessing. And then improvisation, 
where it's it would seemingly be the opposite thing. So how do you how, I'm just amazed you can craft something <clears throat> that can have those two different things measured equally well, if you know what I'm saying. So how how do you I don't know. I'm just I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, great question. So each one of them has very specific a very specific task in which we're engaging. So we're we're uh, really focusing on the distraction control system. So think about a quarterback who has to focus on a target with hands in his face, hearing footsteps, maybe a hand to the back of the helmet or, or pulling on a jersey, and he's got to maintain motor focus. That's one specific task. And then later on in the battery, they'll get another task that asks them to to essentially respond in an improvisational nature. So you're expecting one thing to happen. It's like a classic NFL play. I, I think that some statistics have shown that it's only between 60 uh, or between 60 and 80% of the time an NFL play doesn't go as planned. So you've got to quickly find a, a response, right? And so I think what you're bringing up though is a really great point is like some of these scores that you're hearing is a single number what's that that's relatively meaningless it's really among the pattern of scores so somebody could have poor distraction control and really high improvisation and that athlete will play in a certain style so he may become distracted by a tight end coming across the middle and he's not supposed to be looking at it but man if that first read is is shut down he can find something really quickly an alternative really quickly to respond it's it's you know, it, it, it hurts sometimes to think about those processes in a vacuum because they don't always operate yeah. in a vacuum, right? Sports isn't in a, in a right. vacuum. I got to believe that Josh did pretty well on improvisation in light of what we've seen from <laughs> him in the, in the NFL. It's pretty crazy. And in terms of feedback, what type of feedback have you gotten from these athletes who have taken these tests? Do they do they enjoy it? Do they say this is something that I've never done before in my life? And and then from from the coaches and the scouts are do they come back after they've drafted a player or or taken a player and and have said, "Wow, we've really seen this thing that they tested really high on. It's it's showed up now now that we're playing games." Yeah. So great question. So the vast majority of athletes walk, uh, get up, shake their head and say, whoa, that was <laughs> that was tough. Um, and others of them find it really challenging. They, they are engaging. They want to know. They want to learn about it. They're like, oh, I took an engineering class or I took a psychology class and this is really important. So it's engaging to the athletes. And that was first and, and foremost important to us is to, to build a system that they were actually going to kind of have fun with rather than oh, not another bubble sheet that we've got to fill out or a thousand questions, you know, am I going to run into a burning building uh, to save a teammate kind of thing? Um, and, you know, yeah, we, you know, so just in complete transparency, we are very, we, we share a lot of confidence with our NFL teams and, and we're not really fans of breaking that confidence. And so um, we have those conversations with our front office and, and a lot of, a lot of those conversations actually guide what we do. We take that feedback to heart and we try to get better. We try to learn. Um, we try to say, hey, what are we not getting right? Um, what are we getting right? So that we can we can sort of move the, the needle forward. Um, as you would imagine in most technology landscapes and pro sports, our hotbeds are these college programs that really, really dig in. I mean, most of the product that you see at the NFL level has been tested and vetted for years at a program like LSU or, or Florida State, where we're just sitting there year after year 
working out the kinks, uh, doing analyses, statistical analyses, and, and, and working with athletes and using other technology like eye trackers and MRIs to make sure we're measuring everything we measure so that when we go to the brand of beans of the world, it's, hey, this is what it is. This is how we can be helpful. We're always here for you. Last one for me, Brandon. Can you take the test results that your S2 tests provide and I guess project them to the more conventional NFL statistics that we're used to? And I guess just as a random example, like for a quarterback, he did, he scored this on the S2 test. And based on some of the, you know, nine things that you measure, we think his passer rating should be X, you know, for the length of his career. Do you know what I mean? Like, can you make those projections or is that too far down the road? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we're just at the beginning of that. We've had some success making some relationships to on-field performance at certain positions. Um, And as you know, the NFL is very hard to define success. I mean, I think, you know, you and I are not going to sit here and say, we don't, we don't know if Josh Allen is successful, but, but Josh Allen's also in the top 5% of athletes who we can walk away and comfortably say he's successful, even though on Twitter, you may get some people that say he's not (laughs) successful. Um, But, you know, it's hard, right? And the sample size isn't very big. Uh, To be honest, we've only done, we've done five complete drafts in the NFL. And so it takes a lot of work to be able to really dig down, uh, especially at a position like the quarterback position where there's only one for every team. Some of these guys have been in before we started testing. Some of these guys are in for long periods of time. So, I mean, that's the ultimate goal is we want to be able to help teams have confidence uh, in picking a guy because he's likely to perform like, you know, if, 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 if Brandon Bean gets a profile that looks like Josh Allen's, hopefully he'll have some confidence in saying, okay, um, this, this guy may play like, like Josh, you know, but we're not at the point where we feel comfortable saying, oh, this guy is going to be successful. It's so hard to predict success. Yeah. And like we talked about earlier, you've got to have the psychological makeup and all of the other things. I would say for every, for every quarterback that has scored above 90 on our evaluation that is a stud and we're like oh yeah the josh allen there's been quarterbacks that have scored 90 and and never never played a snap wow okay but maybe down the line that's something you might be able to get to with enough of a sample size and enough years of stuff being recorded in your database yeah and i think like like i said the holy grail is we're measuring cognitive capacity I think it has to be put in the in the puzzle of all of the physical skills. So that quarterback who scores 90 but doesn't play a snap, he could also be 5'8 um, and can only throw 35 yards. Well, you're never going to play in the NFL no matter how sharp your brain is yeah. in that respect, right? So it's putting all of those pieces. It's complicated, as you're well aware of. Super, Brandon. Very enlightening conversation. We appreciate the time. Uh Maybe we'll catch up with you down the line around draft time again in the yeah, future. Amazing. Good luck with everything. It, really cool. It's really interesting. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That's Brandon Alley, co-founder, chief marketing officer of S2 Cognition, a test being used by the Bills and a bunch of other teams in the NFL to better predict future successful performance in draft prospects. I think my brain's going to explode. I'm just trying to intelligently talk about this thing. I didn't come up with it. I mean, I, I know what he's saying. Like, he's he's kind of almost being self-deprecating in coming up with this. I, I don't care if he didn't invent the, the tests, testing, yeah. but 
getting pulling in the technology I know. from all the different places just to be able to execute the test, measure the results of the test in real time. So by the time, as soon as the test's over, bang, there's a grade. And then also be able to get feedback from different different sports and different clubs and, and say, okay, let's implement this here. Let's change this test up this way. Let's configure these analytics and, and this way. Absolutely fascinating. I love the point that he said it's incredible to see elite athletes and, and how they can test way higher than an average average person might be able to test in, in terms yeah. of um, processing information way quicker. And I think that's one of the main reasons why there are players in this game who maybe at the combine don't test off the charts, but maybe on this test they're through the roof. Mm -hmm. And because they are with their reaction times and whatever else is measured in there, even though they don't have elite physical measurables in terms of 40 time, vertical leap, whatever, you know, 85 bench press reps, whatever it is, because of their cognition skills, they put themselves in position to be successful, even though they might not be the fastest person point A to point B. They get there because of some of this millet, hundreds of thousands of seconds <laughs> reaction time. Point one, two. Or what? No, that's not point one two. What am I saying? It's like point zero zero one two, mm -hmm. fifteen thousandths of a second. Good lord, man! I don't even. That's nuts. I, I don't know how you wrap your head around formulating all that, but that's why I'm sitting here and he's in a lab somewhere <laughs> at Vanderbilt same, doing same. it. Right? I mean, I just I feel like I got smarter in that last segment, but I I can't hold a candle to <laughs> what's between the ears of Brandon Outley. So, good for him and his co-founder. I mean. They're, they got something big there, really. I mean, and it's, it's impressive. Cool. He said he's a sports fan, played. Yeah. played um, well, he's a college athlete himself. Yeah, he's a college athlete. It's so, I mean, when you can work in something that you grew up in and that you love so much, like, that's not work anymore. And that's, uh, that's cool for him and, and for his partner that they've been able to do that. We will take a break here. When we come back, more of your thoughts on your most important trader characteristic you think the Bills should look for in Drafting players. Open phone line for you at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. We'll get to some of your thoughts on the tweet sheet as well here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, we are back. What is your most important trader characteristic the Bills should look for in drafting players? Just went over the whole S2 cognition test, which Whoa. measures a multitude of stuff. Mind blown. Yeah, my brain is still overflowing um but let's go to the phones and see what you think and waiting patiently has been dan in angola and let me pull it there he is dan what do you got for us you're on one bills live hey afternoon chris and maddie nice to see you maddie um you know I, I, the one thing for for that uh you've got to have somebody that wants to be here and that means coming into the uh uh the whole community and the whole uh the uh, way we do things here, and the other thing would be a lot of integrity. You got to have that. You got to want to be here. You got to be wanna, part of the community. Um, but I wanted to touch bases on that. Uh, I called you yesterday talking about Bijan, the Bills bandwagon, and having some players uh, from Bills Mafia or some members of the Bills Mafia wanting Bijan. I agree. Um, we yeah. haven't had a good, solid running back, uh, you know, for years. The last time we had a uh, um, a wide receiver and a running back with a thousand yards 
Uh, I think it was like 2012 with C.J. Spiller and Steve Johnson. Uh, we get B. John in the backfield. We got B. John, Damian Harris, Naheem Hines, James Cook. What a lineup. Right. And now we're looking at Latavius Murray. I mean, let's get B. John in here and put this thing to rest. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Dan, and I appreciate the call. Thanks for doing it. Um, number one, not to rain on your parade, I will be stunned if Bijan Robinson gets past pick 18. Stunned. 20. I mean, if he gets to 20, I'll be surprised. Uh, he is an, uh, an amazing talent. I don't think there's any debate about that. Um, and if you want to debate the merits of having him on your roster, does he make your team better? Sure, he makes your team better. Does he maximize what the Bills do best? He can catch the ball out of the backfield, but what the Bills do best usually runs through Josh Allen's arm. Um, And I think it reduces the maximum value you could get from a running back, the caliber of a B. John Robinson. Look, I'm not debating for a second he would make your roster better. He unquestionably would. But you just rattled off four names in the backfield, Damian Harris, James Cook, who, oh, by the way, was a second-round pick and is not chopped liver and is pretty dang talented himself, and then Naheem Hines, and then you add B. John Robinson. you got to remember, you only got one football, <laughs> and this is a team that averages somewhere between 18 to 20 carries a game, and it's usually split between two, sometimes three people if you count Josh Allen running the football as well. So now you're down to about six or seven carries a game. Are you going to spend a first-round pick on a guy that's going to touch the ball eight, nine times a game tops? I don't know. I don't know if you're doing that. Yeah, I've always said this is a team and this is an offense where running back is not going to get more than 20 carries a game. It's just yeah. it, it's not the way the offense is run. It's not the type of quarterback that we have throwing the football to people. Um, I understand it in a different system, in a different offense, but that's that's just not what the Bills are. And, and with what they have already in the backfield, it doesn't make sense to add somebody to that. I understand Bijan Robinson is a generational type character and and talent, and he's getting comp to Saquon Barkley and mm-hmm. and can really change a team. But the team that Saquon was on, where Saquon was Saquon and is getting back to being Saquon, is not what the Buffalo Bills were. It, it just it, they're two different teams, yeah. and so. If he's available at 27, which I do not think he's going to be available there, I, I do think your scouting department has to think long and hard about yeah. do we, this guy is next level. Should we take somebody like him and, and figure out how to work him in? Maybe, but I, well, it's I mean, tough. The common argument we hear from callers, and it's a legitimate argument, they say, well, if you got B. John Robinson, you would run the ball more and he would get more opportunities. That may well be true. Maybe he becomes the featured back and everybody else takes a back seat and barely sees the field. But even then, you're talking about a guy that's carrying the ball 12, yeah, 13 but times, then, maybe 14. Yeah, but still not going to be 20. <laughs> and, I, and, and philosophically, philosophically as an offense, I think this team has completely bought into what the analytics have told NFL teams, and that is the most efficient way – to get to 30 points scored a game is by throwing the football more often than you run the football. It's just been proven in analytics over the last 10 years, throwing the football is the most efficient way to score touchdowns. It's more efficient than running the ball. Even if you have a dynamic running back, it is still more efficient to throw the ball. And that is what has contributed 
to the devaluation of the running back position. Analytics has shown throwing the ball is a more effective way to score. Why do I need an all-world running back? I can score 30 points a game if I have the quarterback. Now, if you don't, if you don't have the quarterback, then well, then you, li- then you listen to B. John yeah. Robinson as a first-round draft choice. But I'm telling you right now, one of the main candidates to draft B. John Robinson is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles. And you're going to say, well, why are they going to do that? They have Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts was as good as he was last year because he was supported by the best running attack in football. Mm -hmm. He is not capable as a quarterback in this league, at least in my opinion, to carry an offense by himself the way Josh Allen can. Um, And here comes the next counter argument. Well, Josh can't do it all himself. You're right. He can't. And he shouldn't be asked to. But I don't think a running back fixes the balance of responsibility enough because the running backs here are not going to carry the ball enough to do that. And I would rather see another receiver in the offense to take more of the load off of Josh or to make his job easier than turning around and handing it off. Because Josh Allen's your best player on offense on the entire team. Taking the ball out of his hands, I think, compromises how effective you are as a scoring team rather than enhance it. And that's kind of where I come down on Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's just the offense would have to change with a player like Bijan, and the offense is already pretty dang good. They've had success. Yeah. They've had success. First, since, second, third in the league yeah. in scoring. In the last few years, it's worked for them. Yes, they need tweaks here and there, and yes, the the rushing offense has been a topic of conversation is something that could get better, but it's never been a conversation of this team needs to turn into – a run-first offense versus a pass-first offense or, or an offense that is going to run the ball 60% of the time and pass it 40% of the time. It's just not in the identity and, and the makeup of what this offense is right. and with what they have. And, and, and even the offensive line that they have. Like it, it, it's just it's not, it's not it. It works for other teams. It, I don't see it working for the Bills especially you go back to 27 Bijan Robinson has been flying up at the boards and mock drafts he lately. Might, he might go He's 10 to the Eagles. He's just not there. He might go 10 to the Eagles. He might be a top 10 pick before all is said and done. Uh, let's go back to the tweet sheet. See what you think is your most important trader characteristic. The Bills should look for in drafting players. We left off with Jimmy who said, who can run the best route tree? So he's obviously thinking he's got receiver on the brain or tight end perhaps uh, and wants somebody that can run the full route tree, which is harder and harder to find in college prospects these days because a lot of times they're the most gifted athlete on the field, and if they can just run go routes and post routes all day, the coach is going to be like, just run a go route or a post route. And they do that for their entire college career, and you're like, can the guy run an 18-yard comeback? The perfect example of that is Jalen Hyatt. Hyatt. He he ran a few routes at Tennessee, and he was really good at running those routes at Tennessee, and that's what made him an an elite athlete there. He scored four touchdowns against Alabama because he was so good at creating separation with the routes that he ran. But when you look at him as an overall wide receiver and how that transfers to the NFL, people are starting to wonder – can he add more to the route tree that he runs? Can he, can he run more than just these three routes? And sometimes people aren't willing to take a chance on receivers like that. Well, not as high in the draft. Yes, not as high in the draft. I think they feel he could be a successful player, but is he an elite player? I don't know. Why? He only ran three routes in college. I don't know if he can run this, this, or this. And so how? 
versatile a receiver is he? He might be the most versatile receiver we've ever seen, but it's the unknown that drops guys on people's boards because they don't have the evidence in front of them on tape to confirm it. And that makes people gun shy. And that's why guys slide down the board if their full skill set hasn't been on display in a game or on tape. Dinah on the tweet sheet says, athleticism, self-starter, want to, willingness to learn. And those are all good qualities, and you want them in your players for sure. Dilfer says, ability to catch hard-thrown balls. I guess this is with Josh in mind <laughs> and his arm strength. We've all heard about the changes wide receivers have had to make to accommodate Allen's power. I think getting a guy who has that ability already would be a big plus to limit drops. Yeah, soft hands, I guess, is what you're looking for there. One of the guys who had really soft hands in a Bills uniform was Andre Reid. He used to get some bullets from Kelly in practice sometimes, uh, and even from some of the other quarterbacks after Jim had retired, who could really zing the ball in there, and it never made a sound when it hit Andre's hands. I can't explain it. I don't know how he did it, but I guess that's why he's a Hall of Famer. Michael on the tweet sheet says, hungry, vocal, and wanting to impact immediately. They sound lax or uninterested in anything but salary, then they're a waste of time. <laughs> Some of you people crack me up. That's why they have those meetings, to see character, and the Bills need more digs players that are hungry and vocal moving forward. It's funny, but Mike's right, and they do look for that stuff. Yeah, you want somebody who's going to be a leader. Um, we talk about a lot with if you're if you've been a captain on your team in college football, that goes a long way with certain teams, certain scouting departments. Um, people want to see somebody that that's willing to take the lead uh, when need be. And we hear about it a lot with our current team, guys stepping into that leadership role, and oftentimes how they've been improved as a leader is becoming more vocal sometimes that's something that that isn't natural for players and it's something that they have to add on to how they lead and it's not always the most comfortable thing to do it's hard to tell a player that doesn't talk a lot to talk a lot more and to talk a lot more especially if you're younger I think of somebody like Tremaine who who wasn't the most vocal guy coming into the bills and was asked to do a lot as as a Mike linebacker and, 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 and the captain of the defense and was asked to, to speak up and, and, and call plays next to guys who were 10 years older than him. Um, that's a tough position to step into. He made it work, but not everybody can make it work. And he didn't make it work right away. It took some learning yeah. on the job. It took some coaxing from people like Lorenzo Alexander, you know, a veteran in the room, to say, hey, you're playing an important position. It's time for you to step up. Last comment on the tweet sheet from BLT. Competitive spirit and heart can never lose on selecting someone with this trait. Good comments from everybody on the tweet sheet. We take a break here. When Maddie and I come back, the Bills' schedule won't be out until next month. But how is it looking in terms of strength of schedule based on the opponents they will be facing? We'll get to that list next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, one final segment here on One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Maddie, glad with you here on a Thursday. And the NFL strength of schedule for 2023 is pretty daunting for the Buffalo Bills. The five hardest schedules, as determined by last year's winning percentage of these teams' opponents, are as follows. Hardest schedule in the league, the New England Patriots. Second hardest schedule in the league, 
the Buffalo Bills. They're followed by the Chiefs, Raiders, and Dolphins as the top five hardest strengths of schedule. Maddie? This article also has them with their projected win total. 10.8 wins for the Bills is what they're projecting in 2023. But they're facing some tough teams. That is correct. And, you know, they're off a 13, coming off a 13-3 and three season. The year before, they were 11-6, and six, right? 11-6. and six. And then the year before that, they were 13-3. and 13-3, yes. I'm trying to remember. I'm like, I got crossed up because I said 13-3 last year. I was like, wait a second, 17 games, and I forgot yep. about the canceled Cincinnati yep. game. So 13-3, 11-6, 13-3. So tougher schedule this year. So, yeah. That is going to be a tough row to hoe, and it's due in part because they're playing the NFC East. They're crossover AFC games in the divisions they're not playing are um, the Bengals because they finished in first place in the AFC East. So they're going to play the first-place team in the AFC South. That's Jacksonville. <laughs> they're going to play the first-place team in the, in the AFC North, and that's Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. They've also got the Eagles on their schedule, the Chiefs on their schedule. And then the whole AFC NFC East. East teams could be tough. You got to yeah. play the Dolphins twice. Jets twice. The Jets twice. So, yeah, it's <laughs> it's not going to be easy. And a good Chargers team that made the playoffs last year and just kind of crumbled in a comeback game by, oh, by the way, the other team they got to play, Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So crazy, crazy stuff. Um, that is it for us here on a Thursday. But Maddie's going to be right back here tomorrow with me on Friday where we will have the latest position review with one Greg Cosell from NFL Films, who's going to dive into the receiver position for us beyond round one. We'll see you tomorrow at one.